This is Aliens and Artists, Episode 5, with Vanessa Lamorte. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Vanessa Lamorte is a teacher and healer who holds a Master of Arts in Transpersonal Psychology from Sophia University. She's the author of Soul Seeds, Remembering Light Language. Vanessa spent 14 years in intensive classical music study for piano, violin, and voice. She was featured in the book Meet the Hybrids, The Lives and Missions of ET Ambassadors on Earth. The earliest memories that I have of contact are when I'm three, three and four years old. And I moved from Chicago, um, Illinois, to Las Vegas, where I am now. And I remember little people constantly opening my blinds and these little people looked a lot like you and I and they would open my blinds at night and allow the moonlight to come in and they would talk to me in my mind and it didn't feel weird it didn't seem strange at all at the time but my mom remembers and this is not a story that my mom like recall like wants to share or recall or tell when I brought this up to her um, later in life she was like oh I remember that time of our life but she would say, why do you keep opening the blinds at night? Like, how are you doing this? You're not really even tall enough to do this. And it was this really strange, just really strange stretch of time there. I, I mean, for me, I, I remember them always wearing like little suits, like dark, dark colored suits, sometimes black, sometimes navy, sometimes like a royal purple. And there was one distinct night when I was closer to four and one led me by my hand out of my bed and we were walking down the hallway, down the stairs and they unlocked the front door, setting off the house alarm and walked me all the way out to the sidewalk and they were really gentle and really sweet. And we were just gazing at the moon. This, even telling this story now, is like, whoa, it's just like so, it's so there, it's so fresh still. My parents, you know, they hear the house alarm go off and they find me outside on the sidewalk, like kind of in a trance and like, what were you doing and what was going on? You know, all these questions and, you know, I'm, I'm just coming out of kind of like a sleepwalking. And so for a while it was like, oh, you know, you, you were just dreaming. But that kind of thing never really went away. So that's three and four. And then like through my childhood, through my childhood and my teens, I feel like I had all types of paranormal experiences from you know, ET and ghosts and fairy. And it, my, my reality was very permeable and very lucid and then later in my later in my teens so like I, I could I tell you so many stories but I'm like okay milestones my most notable teen experience is around age 16 and I'm outside with my then boyfriend going through the desert because there's really not much to do at that age in Las Vegas and I'm like I don't know why I don't I it's unexplainable but I, I feel aliens in the ground over here in the desert and at that time I remember getting these visions of, of tunnels and it was all very very unexplainable and at the time and then later in life I came to find out all about military tunnels and documentation around tunnels under Las Vegas and all kinds of things but you know he was just very much like oh, okay like we're not going to go over there but really really feeling that palpable energy and then yeah, and then later, later into my, by, by about age 20, I'm 29 now, age 20, just full-blown, full-blown open, like, I feel like at 20, I really started to integrate dreams and visions and experiences. My contact really, really increased at that time of my life. 
it became more like workable and it wasn't more, it wasn't like uh, so scary. I mean, the, my earliest, earliest experience wasn't scary. Age 16 was a little scary. In between there, I had all different types of dream experiences and paranormal experiences and, you know, just other world, other realm type of experiences. And sometimes it was scary. I grew up Catholic. Um, so I think that some of that programming might have been part of why I thought it was scary. Looking back, I'm like, would I have thought that seeing this type of being would be scary now? No, but you know, when you think that the, the devil, quote unquote, looks like a certain way, then sometimes, you know, I think the programming around it makes things, makes things scary. Um, so yeah, around age 20, things really started to integrate. Do you feel that what changed was the nature of the contact and the content of those experiences? Or was it a shift in you, your maturity, that altered the experience and removed the fear? I think a combination of both, for sure. The contact by age 20, for me, get, it got a lot more, oh, how would I describe that? Just really lucid, very clear beings at that point really were talking directly to me. It wasn't so much something's happening to me or I had this thing happen. You know, it's not just an experience at this time. It's more of an exchange. Yeah, and at the time, it is, it is my, my maturity for sure that my consciousness is able to process what is happening and at this time I have a lot more information resources and practice with talking to non-human beings just like the process of okay I'm safe I'm supported this has been going on your whole life you're you're not going to (laughs) die we don't have to go into fear about this and what does this being want what does this being have to say Um, and starting to really break down with you know different questions like who are you where did you come from um what can i learn from you so yeah and those i think were like the top questions especially in my early 20s to get to understand them implied in what you just shared is that there was a time when you thought you would die as a result of these contact experiences many contactees know that fear intimately Could you guide us through your process, moving from that primal fear to eventually having more of an equitable relationship with these entities and getting answers to your questions, such as why is contact occurring? What are their motivations? No, totally. And, you know, as I'm going, uh, just kind of keep me on course uh, because there's so many tangents I can go into. Yes. So you wanted to know about, like, the most scary experience? Yeah. Okay. So... And I I just want to preface this for yourself listening and for anyone that may be listening uh, later that if if this story brings up any type of fear, triggers any fear for your own experiences, for your own contact experiences, now and in the future, uh, in the past, however time really works, that's another thing. But just remembering that we are safe and we are always supported. So... For me, my most frightening experience was when I went to graduate school, actually. I was 22. And so I have a framework for how any of this works. You know, I I understand communication with different beings. And this has been going on for quite some time at this point in my life. And I'm staying the night there. I I had a, a global program where I would go for a week at a time and then come back to Vegas and study. And I was going up to Los Gatos, California. 
I ha- I'm in, in this moment, I'm having the most frightening sleep paralysis. And sleep paralysis is a very common thing that many people experience. Tip there, if you're having sleep paralysis, wiggle your toes and your fingers. If you can remember that, I think it helps to get people out. At the time, I didn't know that. And the fear just kept building upon itself. I am really, really terrified because my eyes are open. The light is on. I fell asleep with the light on. My roommate is asleep. And it's like I'm trying to scream, but I, I, I really can't get anything out. And I'm actually, I cannot see what this being is what, or this force is, but I'm actually, I have this sense of, Something is holding on to my calves and is pulling me off of the bed. And so I'm, I'm being pulled off of this twin size bed. And it, the sense of not having control over one's body was what was so frightening. We could go into ideas around control and all of that too, because I think that was the teaching around this. So back to the experience, I'm being pulled out of the the bed. I cannot, I can't move any of my limbs. I can just move my eyeballs. And I, my feet finally hit the ground and my heart's pounding. And I'm just, you know, my brain's like, what is this? And what am I dealing with? And is this like demonic? Is this going to like eat me? Is it going to, am I going to, I don't know, pop into another reality and never come back to earth again? Like what is, what is happening? Because if you can move my physical body and I can't see you, then what else can you do? Um, and what is this? And all, all of these things. And there's a moment where my feet actually hit the ground. So imagine, you know, the the back is completely flat on the bed and my knees are at a 90 degree angle, just off the corner of the bed and my feet hit the ground. And it's at that moment that I wake up and I'm actually like <gasps> gasping and able to move. I know I didn't fall asleep in this position. I know that I was completely tucked in, blankets up, blankets are down. I'm now on the edge of this bed, now sitting up. I've, I have brought myself up, you know, to an upright position. And um, that, was, that was a very initiatic moment in my path on my journey because at the time I didn't have, I didn't, it was unexplainable. I had, I was in shock truly. And I was like, okay, so this is possible. Yeah. That's not how sleep paralysis presents right? You don't move three feet in your bed when you're paralyzed. No, correct. So, and I had sleep paralysis before in my life. I'm like, well, this is not this generic sleep paralysis and this is possible. So what does that mean? And what does that do for my framework? And how does my consciousness need to shift to accept this into my reality? Because this happened. So I think that experience really catalyzed a lot for me. And I call it initiatic because while I do I experienced a lot of fear. I, I don't know necessarily that, that, it, that being or that energy was malevolent in any way. It actually felt the opposite. It felt not that it was a test. It felt like this uh, energy was more of like a guiding, like let us guide you. Similar to like when I was very, like very young, three, four years old, being like taken by the hand and gently like like nudged out of my bed and and brought outside. I think at three or four, your your mind and and your consciousness is so much more accepting and it's uh, malleable and 
I think for me at that point, I already had had programming around control and fear and what's possible or not possible. And, and still like, you know, there, like I said, there was lucidity in my whole life, like around experience, but looking back on it, it really feels like, wow, what a teaching around really dropping into the present, being, being present with oneself and what's actually happening. And Hmm. I, I just did not have the wherewithal at the time to ask the questions of, you know, who are you? What do you want? Can we dialogue about this? What's the exchange? What am I, what am I, what do I need to learn? So it was just fear, 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 fear. And yeah, that just built on top of itself and nothing happened either. You know, it was just. Nothing happened except the utter implosion of your worldview. Correct. <laughs> yeah. The religious component is interesting as well. As a kid, when you're inculcated into a religious belief system, it almost ensures that later, when you start having contact experiences, the only interpretive lens available to you is that this must be demonic. It takes years to get to a point where a different possible interpretation opens up. Would you say the difference you just described was the point of no return? If we put together three big stages of contact, stage one being, is this happening? Stage two being, this is really happening. And stage three being, why is this happening? Was what you just shared your stage two of coming to the realization, this is really happening? 100%. And there were so many things that happened just after that, during that time. And truly, it did go that way. You know, is this happening? You know, questioning, uh, am I, am I quote unquote crazy? That, that is one of the first things that with contact or any type of quote unquote paranormal experience that people are experiencing. Um, am, Am I just making this up? Am I crazy? No, it's, you know, it's likely that it's happening, but you know, it's going through that and discerning for oneself. And then it is like, okay, this, this is happening. Um, and I feel like that, that was the final push. It really launched me into, onto my path in a really beautiful and uh, exponentially, very quickly catalyzing time of my life. I really do feel like it was like, you know, perhaps led by my guide team or led by my higher self. Maybe it was me. And I, I think about that a lot. Perhaps it was my higher self or, you know, an aspect of my own self leading that how else might I, might I have catalyzed my consciousness in the way that it did any other way? So That's a very interesting thought. You mean possibly a higher aspect of yourself may have conducted that event or orchestrated it to be conducted? That initiatory event with your feet landing on the floor, which is also interesting symbolism your feet being planted firmly on the path for the first time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's something you don't hear all the time, which is the manner in which aspects of ourselves are also populating this exchange between human and non-human entities. Because a human being is really a plurality of perspectives. You mentioned after this event, with you being pulled out of bed, feet landing on the floor, that it caused a cascade of events after that. Were they in that third category of why is this happening? So it was, so that was, I think like August 5th or 6th of 2013. And then August 13th or 14th, this is the end of the seminar um, that I'm there. There was other 
there are so many, many stories, but other things that happened in there, but notably, we were watching, my colleagues and I were watching the Perseid meteor shower, and, you know, it peaks August 13th and 14th um, every year, and we all, I mean, it was myself and at least six others <laughs> were watching this meteor shower, and we're like, yes, that's, that's definitely a UFO, um, that's definitely not a meteor, you know, those meteors that move in a certain way and then there was this very bright uh light very fast moving light that came into the sky and like I feel like I feel like it came from the left of my vision I can't tell you what cardinal direction I was facing at the time but from the left of my vision it came in and then it spiraled um like three times and then it zipped to the right and was gone for a few minutes out of our view. And we were all like the, the six or seven of us, whatever it was, we're like, whoa, whoa, like that, that, mm. like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and we're like, oh, shoot, you know, we're, it's late at night. We're, our other colleagues are sleeping, you know, in the dorms. And anywho, and, and then it came back and it, it, it was another moment where you're like, okay, that didn't just happen once, that happened twice. And I'm not just witnessing this by myself, I'm witness, witnessing this with other people. And, yeah, another another time where it was very much like, well, okay, well, is this happening one hundred percent? This this is happening. Yes, okay, it's there. And then like, why? And I really feel like for me, I can't speak to like what my colleagues might have thought, but for me, that was the beginning of my my career in this work. <laughs> I was in graduate school and I was a nanny, and you know, doing I was just nannying for a, a part time job so I could get through graduate school. And my idea was, well, quote unquote, when I'm done with school and when I accomplish this thing, like that's when I'll start thinking about a practice or whatever. And, and I was studying transpersonal psychology. So I thought maybe I might do some type of alternative wellness, uh, alternative therapy or, you know, I had all different ideas on how I could apply that. And that's just not how it went. It was December of that year that things just kind of like wrapped up for me. The nannying job kind of dissolved because they were moving and and then I was just kind of thrust into, well, what do I do now? And for me, the answer was, well, I really feel called to offer intuitive guidance and wisdom through Oracle Tarot and channeling. And that's what I did. And, and every single one of my clients at the time was, um, can you tell me about my starseed origins? I, I'm having a lot of interesting experiences. It was all contact. It was all starseed origins. And I'm like, well, that makes sense why in that summer, even before it was really, really intense as well. So, you know, the summer of 2013. So that makes sense why I had all of these experiences, not only for my evolution, but for, you know, being able to say to somebody else, I might not know exactly what that this is, but I, I can understand and helping others create frameworks and uh, digest and integrate information and experiences. So I think that was the why for then. Uh, there's probably many whys. Well, let's go through some of them because I think everyone is really curious about this aspect, right? Virtually every experiencer, every contactee wants to know, why is this happening? Once we come to a place where we accept it is happening, I'm not presuming there's one correct why. Perhaps the answer varies, but it would be interesting to hear what some of your whys have been. To what degree do these entities offer up solid responses? To what extent do you have to rely upon your own interpretive faculties to make sense of it? 
yeah, sometimes it is really straightforward. And there's, for me, at least there's being that's like, this is, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> and other times it is, you know, okay, I have to integrate this. What, what comes to mind as you say that right now is in particular is the universal heart chakra. So, you know, we, I, most people I think know about the seven uh, chakra model, uh, root to crown. The other, there's, you know, there's other chakras that um, we could say are already intact in the human auric field and perhaps, you know, still expanding, still evolving. But the universal heart chakra is known as the eighth chakra. So, and, and this sits above the crown. The universal heart chakra's function is to awaken a sense of unconditional universal love um, and, and helping people to step outside of the I consciousness into we consciousness, not only for them, you know, hu humanity here, but to really start to understand uh, unity, unity consciousness between this planet and, and everything else, like the interconnectivity in the web. So I feel like that's, that to me is like huge and has been huge for my process is the embodiment and the grounding of of the universal heart chakra in my own field and witnessing that in others witnessing how energy has moved through others fields and how experiences like these expand one's energy body light fields how it expands consciousness how the processing of it and how it expands the experience of it um, and, and how we share that so I think that's definitely a part of the why. Um, and that's, that's universal heart. Then I'm also brought to cosmic heart, which is, it's said to sit um, between the heart and the throat, also known as a higher heart chakra. And this is love for other, love, love for other beings that are not, that are non-human. This could be animals, insects, plants. But um, I really feel like the cosmic heart, you know, it's in the name, really is about understanding that we're not alone and that we can, can love the other in whatever form, perhaps cosmic beings. So I feel like, you know, why, why is this happening? Uh, expansion in a lot of ways, helping us to perhaps move beyond the ways that we've been hurting one another or damaging to the planet. I, 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 the other word that comes to mind that I keep hearing is, or the phrase rather, is accepting interdimensionality. You know, that perhaps we're not just living a 3d life the bringing that into question is is our is my life is my consciousness just this day-to-day -day, or is there more can we go into another focal point pertaining to the why you were featured in the book meet the hybrids i know you've already spoken publicly on hybrids and this part of the question a lot of people are trying to make sense of abduction hybridization and this sustained multi-generational program why is there this hybrid program? What is the end game in that regard? Some people feel it's about taking over the planet. Some feel it's an effort to improve or even rescue life on Earth. What are your thoughts? Oh, so hybridization. So my views have on, on hybridization have evolved through time and through my experiences. I feel like what's published, though, in those books still, still resonates, still is, is in my heart. I feel like it's deepened. I think a lot of what I might say about this has to do with my beliefs around what I think about space and time. So I'm just prefacing that 
because maybe you or others don't hold those beliefs around what space or time might be. But I feel that there's something for me around hybridization, first and foremost, that really brings me into the space of that we truly are all expressions of one another. Yes, there's individuation, but that this idea, you know, that we're mirroring each other, that we are like the we, the, the unity stuff, like we are all each other. And I say that in that way because I know from experience and from also witnessing many other stories that the way that hybridization has happened for a lot of people and, and abduction and contacts around this has not been comfortable. It has been deeply fearful or, tra- or traumatic. And I don't say any of this to diminish, to diminish that. Um, and I really want to be sensitive to that because those voices are important. Those voices do matter. And, and I understand. So sometimes hybridization happens where we are taken out of our beds or out of our time and brought onto ships and forcibly having sex cells taken from us to have hybridization occur. At other times, it's um, maybe more consensual where a being might visit and ask, do you want to do this? And you can say yes or no and then and, and accept that experience or not. And at other times, it's like your consciousness, your consciousness is consenting. And I feel like your consciousness is consenting on some level regardless, in, in some other perhaps dimension. This whole, you know, human consciousness thing is like, I feel like I'm talking in circles. But again, this is like the way the nature of the concept. But yeah, sometimes it's consensual or appears to be consensual. Sometimes it does not appear to be consensual we're on ships and we're, we're doing, doing this thing. Like, why, why is that happening? And I feel like looking at things now, looking at the world, looking at the, the children coming in and looking at the children, like before they're born, um, I have a lot of people around me who are pregnant and have been pregnant, like different, different people through the years who have been pregnant. And it's interesting because feeling into the womb and to children before they actually get here actually has a lot of information about the rest of the process, like, like almost like backwards processing. And I feel like a lot of it is around culling energy codes, uh, information from other places and anchoring it on, on earth so that we can evolve so that we can progress so that we can do something different. Um, it feels like there is a level of, divine intervention with that, with the way the world has been going and how hybrids may be bringing their consciousness to this planet now and how that affects that. I think that everyone is, is hybrid. So one thing for me that I said in Meet the Hybrids and, and the work that I did with Barbara Lamb and Miguel Mendonca, so I've, I've said from the beginning, I think that everyone is a hybrid and in varying degrees um, as far as like how that DNA might show up and also how you might accept yourself or not accept yourself as a hybrid. And that's okay. If you don't identify as a hybrid, you don't have to. I think that, I think that our DNA is all hybridized. So remind me of the question because I know I'm like totally in a rabbit hole. Well, if we follow that three-stage model, and many of us are at the stage of, yes, hybridization is really happening, some of it by force against people's will, some of it may be collaborative, then where is it going? What is the objective? Is, is there going to be millions of human-alien hybrids cohabitating with humans on Earth? If so, is that supposed to change the power structure? Is it something more benign? 
where they're taken to other worlds, or is it interdimensional? Where might we be in 500 years in terms of the hybridization effort? Yeah, this is that. This is why I said that time-space thing is really key. Here's what are your beliefs around time and space? Because for me, it feels like we are creating it as we go, uh, that every action has, uh, you know, a reaction, that idea, but every action that we take builds upon itself and i don't know so much that the programs i would have said in the past I'll, I'll i'll say this way i would have said in the past that there is an initiative happening there's an agenda happening and that there are these beings that want hybridization to happen and that maybe it might be more polar like there are some beings who have an agenda that feels really aligned perhaps with a higher higher good and another agenda that's not. And I don't really feel like that anymore. Um, it doesn't feel polar to me. It feels a lot like we are creating this together. It does feel a lot like we are um, engineering DNA in a different way by hybrid, through the way of hybridization so that we can operate in different dimensions. So perhaps, uh, like just to answer the question, for the sake of answering the question, I think part of it could be so that we can be really interdimensional hmm. that we can move between dimensions. Um, we already can move between dimensions. Anyone can in our consciousness and in our dreams. Um, but I, I mean like really learning how to alchemically physically move the body between dimensions and, and the vessel and what that means. It, that could be part of it. It's an interesting idea. I'm not sure I've heard that before. So you're talking about a kind of reciprocity so one objective of hybridization would be making the veil between our dimensionality and theirs more permeable. So we might become more able to enter their reality, so to speak, as they are able to enter ours. Yeah, it definitely feels like dissolving the, um, the veil uh, between pol between polarity and even in the language, you know, we do this a lot when we talk about um, life outside this planet or ETs or star people. We you know whatever language is, but the thing that I've learned through all of my contact experiences and that beings have repeated to me over and over and over again: mantis people, Andromedan people, Syrian people, beings from Sirius, beings from Lyra, Pleiades, Arcturus, is that we are them. That this is not. It, it feels like, and the perception is that it's outside of us, but that we we are them. And if we pause for a moment, just to even think about that, like to consider it, you don't. I'm not saying you have to believe this, but okay, just considering, I am an alien, I am an ET, I am a star person. Um, this is where this whole idea that we're all hybridized, I feel like fits. Like, yes, we we have this. What is human DNA? Do we even know? What does it mean to be human? We live on Earth. We're citizens of Earth. But from the perspective of someone on the Pleiades, we are the alien. I mean, if you just kind of put your eyes there, like outside in space, quote unquote, in the other, and look back at oneself here on Earth. Okay, so we're human. But it's not, I don't know, I guess it's not really like human alien to me. It's more so a whole collective of, of beings. And yes, moving between dissolving that veil and, and moving our consciousness around the universe or multiverse to be able to evolve in in a lot of different texts i feel like it's um uh, what is her name the woman who's in australia 
Mary Rodwell. Mary yeah. Rodwell talks about pomonoeticus, this word, uh, this terminology of the next human that's we're evolving into. Hmm. Very yeah, interesting. interesting. Go ahead. Sorry. Let me hit you with a curveball here. A question I like to pose to fellow experiencers of contact with mantis entities. How do we account for the presence of mantis insects on Earth for the past 200 million years? What is their relationship to the large, quote-unquote, alien mantis entities? Yeah. So, uh, to me, that they, they are this, the same. Like, the insects here on the planet, to me, are like little anchors on the Earth realm level but are connected to the cosmic layer or the cosmic beings, cosmic level. Um, and I don't mean this to sound hierarchical, um, but the day, this is a funny synchronicity and I'm happy you um, are posing this now because this really, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So the day that you reached out about uh, this interview, this conversation, um, my husband was out in, the, in our garden and I just got your email and I was saving this to share with you here. And he's like, Oh my gosh, um, our mantis friend is back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh, this is the time to have this conversation. Um, and we have, you know, we've, we've got, I've got a garden, you know, different plants. And of course, it's like the perfect habitat for the physical mantis to live in. But um, then I really felt like my mantis guides, my mantis DNA, like, haha, isn't that funny? Look at how connected it all is. That is funny. And it accords with my own experience. I'm not going to go into it. People can listen to the audio documentary Man Meets Mantis. But suffice to say, I'm no longer confused as to the fact that the big ones can at least temporarily control the little ones. Right. <laughs> so the first experience, the first time I had, had to examine this whole insect, insect to cosmic being relationship and what, what is this, I was in New York with my Reiki master teacher, I was finishing my Reiki master training in 2014. And this very long cockroach, um, I was brushing my teeth one night and, and there was a cockroach on my foot and I'm screaming and she comes in and she's like, well, are you okay? What's going on? And she's like, Oh my gosh, I have never seen that. Like seen something like that in my apartment. I've never, like, that's never happened. And she looks at it and she's an extremely gifted woman. And she's like, you're not, you're not a regular insect. You're an alien. And she just picks it up with her hands, takes it outside and just whatever. And I was like, what are you talking about? That was the first time I actually, like, a, it, this is a thing. And other people think this is a thing. And it had, and I told her it had a weird energy. It didn't feel like a normal bug, quote unquote, normal. I've had a lot of buggy experiences since then. And, and it, to me, it just, it makes sense. And lots of mantis people have visited by way of, you know, their insects earthly insect form and then also in their cosmic form and it makes a lot of sense to me it, it, it's part of my normal reality at this point <laughs> well we see it with other creatures as well we could talk about coyotes and how they bookend many paranormal events or we could talk about crows owls are a huge one mike cleland has cataloged those exhaustively this is at times a facet and a function of contact the simple intrinsic quality of the enigma. 
consciousness permeates everything and a variety of life forms can evidently be commandeered under the auspices of the visitors. We're so dissociated from this primordial presence that animates all life that it looks exotic to us when we re-encounter it in these high strangeness events. Right. That's the end of part one with Vanessa Lamorte. Find out more at vanessalamorte.com. Be sure to catch part two of our conversation with Vanessa Lamorte. One of the more hilarious takeaways from an artist who's had a close encounter is that of director Guillermo del Toro. He told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, I saw a UFO. I didn't want to see a UFO. It was horribly designed. I was with a friend. We said, let's go to the highway. We sit down to watch the stars. We saw a light on the horizon going super fast, non-linear. I said honk and flash the lights. We started honking. It went from 1,000 meters away to us in less than a second. And it was so crappy. It was a flying saucer. So cliched with lights. It's so sad. I wish I could reveal they're not what you think they are. They are what you think they are. The fear we felt was so primal. I have never been that scared in my life. We jumped in the car, drove really fast. It was following us. Then I looked back and it was gone. Hey, if you enjoyed this, please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page. Or you'll go to hell. Just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Actually, if you become... A patron, you get tons of exclusive premium content such as my work in film, original music that I put out as a songwriter, TV and video work as a comedian, and podcast stuff just like this. My patrons see stuff that will never be seen anywhere else, and they always see everything first. It's private, it's exclusive, it's personal, and we talk, we email. It's it's like a fun private art club with some nudity. So go to stuartdavis.com and click on the Patreon button on my homepage. It makes a huge difference. I literally buy food to eat with that money, which keeps me and my family alive. So thank you. There's no money.